Good morning. I will still take refuge. I take refuge in the Buddha, acknowledging Buddha nature inherent in all of us, opening to the beneficent, uh, beneficence of the awakened ones, the ancestors, the wisdom beings. May they influence our mind streams. In the Dharma, truth, our liberated, interconnected life. And in Sangha, friends, all beings. Well, as Chosen mentioned, I am coming out of retreat, uh, the retreat of Dharma transmission, grateful, humbled, and deeply, deeply inspired. Uh, deeply inspired to be on this path of practice and Hogan Roshi asked me during the week to write a poem every day. And I'm going to share one of my poems with, with you, which I've never done during a Dharma talk. This is called On Bowing, also called Praying. What happened that I forgot how to pray, to rejoice, to put my self-centered burdens down and gaze honestly, directly into the mystery. This is Zazen. As my heart turns over in amazement, so much awe, so much gratitude. And this is one kind of prayer. And I recommend doing it always to know yourself not as some small and particular thing fighting against all other small and particular beings for your place in this world. But to know yourself as the vastness, as process in this intricate web of life, living, expressing, moving you. And still though, there is another form of prayer, one that recognizes from the depth of your being, the compassion, the love, the wisdom of Buddha, and also recognizes simultaneously from the depth of your being, the trappings of confusion, of egoic self-obsession that flirt with your attention and steal your true life. This is a prayer for liberation, a freedom song. Gather up all the Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, awakened beings, ancestors. Bring them into your heart and ask for their support, mercy, and love. Ask them to intervene in your mind stream to bless this precious life. For you will do whatever it takes to actualize full Buddhahood, complete awakening, Anuttara Samyaksam Bodhi.
So this private retreat that I participated in had three major unique elements. And one was three times a day, I walked around the monastery offering um, Durrani chants, blessing prayers, incense, and bows at all the altars. The Zendo altars, the Jizo room, the Kaisando, um, the Jizo room is a columbarium, the Kanon altar that's at the entrance of one of the um, sides of the Zendo, the Manjushri altar that's at the entrance of the other side of the Zendo, the kitchen, the bathroom, the shower room, and the altars that we have outside. And then another aspect was I got to conduct my own personal morning service and do my own Oriyoki meal practice, which I've done a lot of private retreat and I've never done the whole Oriyoki ceremony, like chanted all of the Oriyoki chants. Profound practice, highly recommend it. Last week or maybe two weeks ago, Lekshe was talking about Sukh or Gana Chakra and I feel like oh, our meal chant is that. It's calling all the beings and um, asking for their support and offering, offering our practice and food. And then I also got to spend uh, time with the teachings of Dogen Zenji and the Zen school, which is very, very, very inspiring. Well, I want to talk about the vow for awakening. During the parts of the retreat where I was visiting the various altars and walking around the buildings and grounds, we often tell people uh, during these ceremonies, um, this isn't the first time Chosen and Hogan have done a ceremony like this for someone, uh, to treat the person as a ghost. So they're walking around chanting and you start to really feel like you're in between worlds that you are communicating with the spirits and the other people that reside in the building aren't paying attention to you in the same kind of way that they would an ordinary person, like asking you how you're doing or even bowing to you or uh, having conversation. So you're in this place between worlds already, this kind of uh, liminal, liminal, alive space, but maybe also like in contact with the human realm, in contact with uh, the Buddha realm, in contact with the realms in between, realms of bodhisattvas and spirits. So I was walking from building to building and I was chanting the Surangama Heart Dharani, which is on onora ri Bisha Chibira Hojara Tanhodo Hodonin Hojaya Honihan Kuki Turyo Yohan Somoko. Very beautiful. And this chant, this Dharani, is uh, a spirit of asking that all the benevol benevolent wisdom beings, Buddhas, protectors, guides, forest spirits, intervene in our mind stream and and help us in our practice, help us to see through our delusions and to open the mind of true nature, the mind of presence, 
the mind heart of compassion. But in doing that also, and this is a practice of mantra in general, is acknowledging that I am one with all being. That yes, there are these prayers, these transactional prayers happening. And yet I'm just also acknowledging that we are one net, one interbeing that I contain all of the elements of awakening. All being does. It's not mine, not yours. And that all beings come alive in my awareness, in awareness. I realize in doing this practice and often in um, Dharma practice that I have these deeply ingrained trenches in my heart stream that are based on a kind of materialistic scientific worldview. And so I walk around cut off from this level of support, like I'm doing my practice by myself or with a few other people that live at the monastery, not really having connection to the fact that so many beings are practicing awakening. And so many beings before us have seen this path very far, have become actualized Buddhas. That awakening, that, that being a Buddha is possible. And that don't Buddhas want to help us? Isn't that the Bodhisattva vow? Aren't there all these Bodhisattvas in the world who want to help liberate beings? that are waiting to be asked. And so I walk around often like cut off from this even notion of our interconnection. And then I'll have a close encounter with a deer. We have two baby deer right now that are filling the monastery with joy. Or I'll have, I'll really see a flower one experience I kept having while making my rounds was seeing um, the wildflower garden reflected in the windows of the zendo. And so it looked like there were flowers all filling the zendo, these bright orange and purple flowers. And the zendo filled with flowers. Or I'll become enchanted with the sound of the wind and the bamboo, the call of the bird. And it will, for a moment, awaken me to this vast life, one life. Dogen Zenji says, to become awakened by the 10,000 dharmas, to see how all things really are alive, before I went into retreat, Chosen was talking about how we have a hierarchy of what is alive. And cute things with eyes have more life than maybe what we would call inanimate objects or nature. But when practicing 
and beginning to really step into the interconnection of life, all things are alive. That's even, you can drop that into your heart stream as a inquiry. All things are alive. What does that mean? How do I have direct experience of that? Is this floor alive? Are these words alive? Is the room I'm sitting in alive? How does it come alive? And if it's alive, what does that mean? Are we in relationship? When I touch into one life or all things are alive, there's a natural compassion that arises, kindness, care, relationship. We're mutually or have the potential to mutually benefit each other. We're not. So this um, materialistic scientific worldview that I carry around also manifests as this idea that I am doing something to my mind when I practice, to my mind, which is in here, so that I can be free. And chanting the Dharani is an opening up to the reality of all things the timeless, ancient Buddha mind. Awakened nature, unborn nature is thus, functioning freely all the time, chirping, illuminating, moving my tongue, speaking, seeing, hearing, tasting, caressing, caring, carrying. This is our freedom song. And yet how easy it is to get confused. We say in the Gata of Atonement, ignorance is beginningless. Fear, greed, anxiety, self-consciousness, anger, beginningless. Which means it doesn't belong to you, doesn't belong to me, doesn't belong to anyone. We say, I'm afraid, but we just identify with fear. It's kind of free-floating. You don't have to identify with it. But we have a tendency to think that our thoughts are ours. And contemplating that. Is it because they start with I that we believe them so readily? But how many other people think I refers to them? So maybe it's referring to them. Why do we believe our thoughts so readily? This is an important question in practice. Thoughts can feel so intimate. 
maybe because they're talking to us, but we don't believe everything we hear from other people. Have you ever asked and really asked, who do these thoughts refer to? Any thought, any thought that arises, especially if it starts with I. Who is this I? Especially if we're, we notice the identification. And can we let thoughts be? Can we let emotions be? Be part of the beginninglessness of being. Just like the bird song, we don't try to do anything to it. It happens, it's happening, and we let it be, maybe even enjoy it. Knowing that it's passing, knowing that it's fleeting. Or like the wind in the trees. But with thoughts and emotions, we feel like we have to do something to them. They're ours. Have you ever become curious about the nature of thought and sat at their source and saw what they're really made out of. This is an important practice, really clarifying the nature of thought. What do thoughts feel like, sound like, what qualities of the senses, seeing, do you see your thoughts? Do you hear thoughts? Is hearing a thought different than hearing the bird song or hearing the wind or hearing somebody else's voice? Do they happen in the same place? Does all sound arise from the same place? Does it have a location at all? Or if thoughts appear as images, is it different than the images that you see when your eyes are open? We call form, bodies. And if they have a touch quality, is it different than the touch of your skin your hands touching your hands, or your hands touching your, your knees, or your clothes, or a cup. It's crazy, if you think about it from the outside, that we let our thoughts stand in the way of our freedom, and the freedom of all beings. These simple little Flitty electric impulses in the brain that can become so, so solidified and so real that suddenly we're this concretized being, or maybe not even a being, because sometimes when I'm thinking, I'm not even aware I have a body. 
Chozen Roshi has this uh, phrase, the thought-free zone, as a way to familiarize ourselves with uh, the spacious vastness of the empty mind. So right now, I invite you to a thought-free zone. One way to do it is just relax the mind. Sometimes I imagine putting my mind down in my belly. But another way is to just sink back, sink into awareness. Like letting thoughts be on the surface and just like going down, 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 back, down, down, down. Feeling into the quiet space of mind. It's like a deep rest. Remember an early sanzen I had with Hogan Roshi. It might have been my first sashin, and people were talking about quiet mind and clear mind and the bright mind. And I, th I assumed that everyone else was having this experience of like a continuous, clear, bright mind. And my mind was quite agitated, and I was thinking a lot, and I didn't really like, quite understand what they meant by like, not thinking. And um, but I was trying it. And I wasn't having these consistent experience of it, of it, but I would be able to drop in for periods of time. And I was becoming quite unsettled by the experience. And I said to him quite innocently, well, when I don't think, I don't know who I am. And he was like, well, that's interesting. And I was still like, well, I don't get it. <laughs> like, I'm actually deeply troubled by that experience. So that's interesting. I've, I've used this as kind of a benchmark. Like there, when we let the mind get quiet, we're faced with that existential question. And it might not feel very comfortable. Like there's an element of relief, perhaps. Moments, maybe a moment of relief. Or moments of relief. But the habit is so strong, and sometimes thoughts are protecting us from feeling uncomfortable feelings in the body that we might not have ever felt. So that's why we practice thought-free zone. You practice doing that more and more and more so it becomes your basis and you become familiar with and begin to trust that actually I can move through my life without being dictated by my thoughts or, narr or, or letting the narrative of thinking run my life, which keeps me from the intimacy of experience with other beings, with the natural world with what is true with my nature.
When you are living a liberated life, all beings are liberated because they already are. That is your nature, that is our nature, is the nature of being. It's you who do not see them. And when you're living from true nature, as true nature, I haven't really quite found the right way to say that, you're not identified with confusion and negative self-talk, judgment, aversion, greed, fear. In that moment, you are Buddha. It's Dogen Zenji's famous practice slogan. Practice and realization are one. And so at that moment, when we're in thought-free zone or in touch with the truth. We are free. We are Buddha. We manifest wisdom, love, and compassion. That is our nature. And so you naturally want to intervene in the mind streams of others who are caught in the idea of separation and self-centered views. And that's the Bodhisattva vow. That is our natural response. During my rounds, this is a really beautiful practice. I'm not going to do justice to share. Um, I was having audience with all of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas around the monastery. We have statues or images. Audience or sanzen with them. This is quite powerful. And so the practice was empowering the statue or image with the awakened qualities that they represent. So perhaps the Buddha is all-inclusive awareness or penetrating clear wisdom, manjushri, or boundless compassion, kanon, avalokiteshvara. And then standing in the presence of that being empowered with this, qual this awakened quality and feel the power of being in the presence of boundless compassion and recognize that it is your mind. You have this quality. It doesn't belong to anyone. It's an aspect of awakened nature. And so it's yours as much as it is the statue's. It's available, this is another way of saying it's always available. That help, that quality is always available. We can call it forward. And then I got to speak their mantras. And as I spoke their mantra, I would visualize it spinning in my heart center, turning my being with this quality, and then turning out into the world for all beings. And I have many powerful encounters doing this practice, like staring down Manjushri and just the, one of the uh, lines in the echo or the, the, the chant, the dedication to Manjushri was, um, may we be fully awakened and just like feeling the depth of that 
vow and commitment. And I would do this, uh, like I alluded to, with the meal chant. In our meal chant, we invoke all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and say their name. And it's quite powerful to visualize them right there in front of me and then bring them into the heart. And then the next one. I want to um, spend a little bit more time with the meal chant and really investigate the depth of it. I've been chanting it now for 10 years and I'm really just starting to appreciate its vast view. But my most consistently powerful encounters were in the Jizo room with Jizo Bodhisattva. I felt the power of the presence of someone confident in awakened nature. So confident in awakened nature and that in every being's capacity to recognize awakened nature that they would enter, and this is Jesus' vow, any realm, any situation to remind beings of their inherent freedom. And I felt this vow tug in my own heart. Part of the dedication that I recited to Jesus, so part of the dedication that I read um, as part of the rounds was asking for help in clarifying and accomplishing my most essential life vows. In the room alone with myself, with Jizo and with all the other bodhisattvas that are in our columbarium, we have a lot of images. I felt the immensity and weight of Jizo's vow of the Bodhisattva vow. And the voice in me saying, yes, yes, me too. Whatever it takes, that's what this practice is. Why anything less than full awakening for all beings? Help me to become able to help all beings see through delusions that cause suffering in this world. And I have this impression, this memory of 10 years ago, like the same experience, full of passion for practice, standing in this room saying, yes, yes, whatever it takes, not knowing, not knowing at all what that really meant. The Dalai Lama's vow, for as long as space endures, for as long as living beings remain, so then may I too abide to dispel the misery of the world. Simultaneous with that memory, I have Trunkpa's quote of uh, best not to start on the spiritual path. And if you start, best to finish. And this vow for awakening is both immediate, it happens only right now, is actualized right now, and endless. Beings are endless. Delusions are endless. We say this every time we recite the four Bodhisattva vows. And this vow for awakening, it asks us to live 
in service for life, in service to life. To see awakened nature in everyone at all times. This is the work of the Bodhisattva vow. This work happens and springs forth naturally from the empty mind. These practices go hand in hand. Wisdom and compassion is often said to be two wings of the bird of practice. And they're just so one and the same. Maybe they say two sides of the same coin. Empty, spacious mind, no mind, no localized mind. One mind. Here at the monastery, we've been practicing mind of a mountain. A monk asked Hakujo, what is the most wonderful thing? And Hakujo said, sitting alone on this mountain peak. This is the ground of being, the land where all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas dwell the land where all practitioners dwell, the land where all beings dwell. Some just don't realize it. At times, you sit atop the lone mountain peak and let your hands dangle into the busy intersection. At times, while in the busy intersection, you drowse off on the lone mountain peak. That's a embodiment of a practitioner, knowing mountain mind, all situations. Sometimes we get to dwell in it, like being in private retreat or sashin or zazen. And to take zazen seriously, to completely empty out, to, to, to be, <laughs> to be, to be mountain, to be no mind. And then to carry mountain mind, to return to mountain mind throughout the day. Let mountain mind function. And bodhicitta, compassion, the bodhisattva vow, and this is the other side, help us to familiarize ourselves with the place of true abiding. Help us trust awakened nature. So these practices that I was doing during this retreat of going around and calling forth and recognizing awakened nature in the forest, in the flowers, in uh, the walls of the monastery, in the bathroom, in the kitchen, just blessing and seeing that we are always supported this creates a container for the emptying out process to be held by all beings. Like this isn't your work alone. It's just an illusion that you're self anyway. So this isn't your work alone. This is the work of Buddha. Buddha practicing Buddha. That's another quote from Dogen Zenji. Buddha supporting Buddha, Buddha enabling Buddha. So we're always supported in our practice. And it's, it's our work, one, to, 
to trust that enough to investigate it and to have our own experience of what that support is. You know, Hogan Roshi recently in the past year or so has been reminding us that we're always supported. And that's an inquiry in and of itself. Because the more we see and trust this network of support, the more we can let go into it, the more support we have for the emptying out process, the longer we can abide in no mind and trust that no mind functions as compassion functions through us. that Buddhas are holding us, supporting our practice. But please know, and maybe this is my whole intention for this talk, that you can ask for help in your practice. It can be specific help. Like as you're sitting in a meditation period and a difficult emotion comes up, may I have the courage to face this without turning away? and opening to the support of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and ancestors and wisdom beings who will help you hold this, who are holding it with you. Let Kanon, let Jizo Bodhisattva sit with you, bring them into your heart. Or you can ask for big help. Like, may I attain full Buddhahood? Don't shy away from the deep vows for awakening. You are capable of being a fully realized Buddha. Isn't that amazing? You, each and every single one of you, and this isn't just poetic speak, this is true. Don't sell yourself short in practice. Don't settle for a little bit of mountain mind here and there. Know for yourself. Affirm for yourself and, and make the vow. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen tomorrow. And maybe it's just a moment to moment affirmation in, in and of itself. Having large and seemingly impossible vows, like the Bodhisattva vow, is, is having a consistent or an ongoing relationship with spiritual aspiration, which is such a crucial part of the spiritual path. I even encourage you to write an aspiration prayer and have ways of connecting to it throughout the day. Here at the monastery, we have ways of connecting that are built into the schedule. So we have meditation, and then we have chanting service, and we chant before work period, and we chant before meals, and bowing is part of our daily life, making offerings, doing formal meals like orioki, 
all ways to remind us, to help us connect to our aspiration. But even here still at the monastery, just doing the forms isn't enough, isn't, doesn't make you fully realized being. It's not the forms. The forms are just reminders. We have to make them our own. We have to find our aspiration within them, renew our aspiration, connect to, you know, they're beautiful tools, tools. They're beautiful, hmm, what's a better word? Gateways. Like the practice of bowing. I mean, Miyoyu was saying this in the beginning to embody practice and to put our bodies on the earth, to touch the earth and affirm oneness with the earth. And this is a physical. Living expression of gratitude and humility and repentance. And we can do it rotely and we can do it with sincerity. And so we need to find the sincerity. It doesn't just happen from doing the forms. Here is a Durrani for bowing to bring some more inspiration into your bowing practice. Bowing and being bowed, nature is empty. My body and other bodies are not too. Realize liberation with all sentient beings, raising the supreme mind return to true nature. Dogen Zenji had Dharanis for all activities when I was um, training at a Soto monastery in Japan, th they had us chant a Durrani when we woke up and when we brushed our teeth and used the toilet and when we took a bath and before we went to bed, besides all of the other aspects of chanting service uh, three times a day and things that we do here. And all of this was just that same quality of bringing sincerity and aspiration into all of your activities, seeing all of your activities as the activities of awakening, of compassion, of wisdom, of Buddhahood. This is your life and your life is your practice and it is your awakening and it is your expression, your manifestation, your offering to the world, and all of those are one. So please, if nothing else, stay connected to the heart of your practice. Padma Sabhava says, if you don't have compassion, the root of your practice is rotten. <laughs> 